0: Welcome to episode four hundred and seventy five of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man.
1: Three sports, two guys, one show
0: is I Am taught. On to episode 474 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsome and Bevan James. I'll tell you, go, mate. I'm very good, and you? I'm in a hotel room here in Auckland. Um, I've got a little set up in my bedroom here, and it's uh, yep, I'm very cozy, John.
1: Nice, and we had to we've already done two interviews today, and Bevan had to be nice and quiet so he just didn't wake, <laughs> up his, uh, wake up his roommate.
0: I got a roommate, and uh, it was quite funny, really, because uh, Thorsten, we interviewed Thorson today And he goes at the end of, What happened to Bevan? <laughs> I was there the whole time But I, just, I said to John You're going to have to take this one Because I can't be talking this early So uh, we made it work, didn't we, John? You're, you're, you're a broadcasting professional, you are Thank you very much Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com, Social networking for endurance athletes
1: Extreme endurance Galactic buffer And our fantastic patrons uh, Let's name a few of those, John We've got Simon, the official marshal We've got
0: Andrew Cunningham, and he's OMC. Melissa Bigfoot Uri. Uh, Andy McMillan, uh, the old Big Mac. And P-Bomb Penny Commons. Yeah, I love it, P-Bomb. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got a bit of news. We've got an age gripper of the week.
1: Our statistic is back in full force. And we've got an interview, Jonbo? With Torsten, because today or in the next day or two is the official cut-off for the first round of Kona qualifiers for the professionals. When's the second one, John? Oh, some, I think it's the end of August, is it, maybe? That's I mean, just a, month, a guess, Okay, um,
0: and then we've got some questions and answers at the end, John, I'm not putting in, in, inserting any jingles this week, just so you know just- I,
1: n- I did notice, I don't usually go back and listen to the show, but I went back last week and noticed that you didn't actually include our new intro music, so slap over the hands for you and I'm, forgets, I'm, right? I'm, I'm going for once we hit show 500 we lose the old music and we bring in the new music and if you like that idea, let us know on Facebook if I think we like- should have a vote, let's I- do a vote I agree Okay. Let's
0: do a vote because I'm I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I'm saying, hey, we've got a tradition here. We're known for the music, but I think let, let the community speak. Jumbo
1: change is good.
0: What we'll do is let's do that around the 500 show. Okay, sounds good. Okay, Jumbo news. First of all, the big news of this week really unbelievable. Really, I'm
1: Cowboy finished. The challenge he did it was incredible, and so pretty incredible. I've I've popped David Warden, who we had on the show recently, an email saying, "Look, I know that he's probably going to be get, getting inundated with uh, requests, but we're, we're we're in the queue, hopefully, to get an interview with him. So we'll do that when we can." Um, with James and just try to get him on to talk through that bloody adventure that he did but um, my Belinda was following it not following it but she just saw it from time to time pop up on Facebook and she said well how the hell did he do Hawaii and Alaska and I said well I don't don't know if he did but because there are 50 states in America so if you don't know this iron cowboy story he was trying to do 50 iron distance uh, days in 50 states uh, in America and so he did actually do Hawaii because I popped Joe Baxis an email and said did he actually go to Hawaii and Alaska because that's a long way and I don't know how you would include that in a day get to your next one and be able to click off but apparently he did them right at the beginning so he did do Hawaii and Alaska a couple of other things that we commented on, or other people commented on. One day he did do uh, a marathon on the an elliptical trainer, and I think some people thought that was pretty rank. And the reason he did that is he it sounded like he had a bad crash on day eighteen, and mm. that was when he actually fell asleep on his bike. Um, and the next day he could could hardly move, and there was no way firstly he was going to be able to complete a marathon and if he did attempt to do it he was probably going to sabotage the rest of it so you know in theory you know i i understand the guys who are in the the ultra triathlon community and james certainly didn't follow um the rules that they sort of have set up if you're doing the, these official events around, uh, you know, you've got to basically put out a map of where you're going before you start each day so you can't go and change anything and there's, there's certainly, certain rules and regulations. So I kind of understand why how people say I didn't do it the legit way. But I just think it's a it's a pretty crazy feat. And the fact that he did a marathon on an elliptical trainer is probably harder than running on the road. Um, I do you them, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, mentally would be just mind boggling. And one, another one of their rules that they have is around IV drips. He did have some I V drips. So yeah, it wasn't a ratified attempt, but nobody from what we from what anybody's saying has ever even tried doing this. So it's just a um, yeah, just an incredible achievement and um yeah.
0: One thing I would say is um, I'm not sure how happy they would have been at the fundraising level they got. Like, they raised basically 70,000, that's what it's got on his website. Um, And and if you do want to support him, because he had the goal of raising a million, so obviously he was, you know, well off where he was aiming for. But um, I just, you know, it's a great foundation, the Jamie Oliver Foundation, and um, and I'm sure that they probably hope to get a little bit more than what they got in that aspect. So if you do want to go onto the website, ironcowboy.co, and support what he's achieved. I just can't even comprehend what it would be like to go through this. You know, like I just, I really can't. To, to 50 days of doing that level of exercise, it just. Like sure, we get you know you and I have done some big training. You kind of get in a zone and you make it work. But I don't know. Like it'd be really fascinating to kind of the inner place where he would have gone to is really an interesting thing to explore. eh?
1: Mm. And so I think he's got a very good support network. His his wife's been with him there the whole the whole time through. So yeah, it's and I think another thing that will have really helped is each time he went somewhere, he tried to set up like a five k run. He'd often have a five k circuit that he'd run around. So he had a lot of people out there doing it with him but at the end of the day you've still got to bloody do it and uh, whilst it's helpful having someone there it's uh, yeah a massive challenge so we'll look We'll look to try to hear more from him um, when things have settled down a bit and actually find out uh, um, in his words how it did actually feel
0: It was funny because James the wise one Bo's tell he was quite kind of involved, well not involved but kind of interested in it and then early on he was sending me emails saying there's no way this guy's going to do it because there was this first few days and when we talked to David Warden about it, about how he just went quite hard quite early and, and he had to kind of learn to adjust to be a bit wiser about how he's going about doing it And uh, but then as time went on James was going, man, he's, he's going to get there so it's been a pretty interesting 50 days. Mm-hmm. Okay guys, uh, Ironman Canada was on last weekend and uh, some pretty interesting racing jobbo.
1: We did see that, so these days Ironman Canada is in Whistler, uh, it used to be at Penticton um, but it is no longer and they had a shitter of a day there. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, did not look pleasant and having been through Whistler last year. I can. It's a beautiful place, but you know you're at a reasonable sort of altitude up there, so I can imagine it was. It looked like a cold and wet day, and you, whenever you see supporters wearing like woolly hats and big puffer jackets and stuff like that, you know it can't be a lot of fun. So it was. Uh, it looked tricky, but we had some fantastic racing both on the girls and the guys side of things. So Victor Zemincev uh, took the race out in 8:49. Uh, he swam 43, rode 458. That's not an easy bike course over there, and then ran 2:54. But he had a fantastic battle with Kyle Buckingham. He caught him late in the run, and they ran shoulder to shoulder for quite some time. And then Zemencev just got away at the end, so he was only about 44 seconds in front at the finish. So Kyle Buckingham sort of faded a bit with a 3:01, and he's a South African dude. If people remember correctly, he was either first or second. I think he was first age grouper in Kona a couple of years ago, and then in third place. Uh, we had uh, Justin Deer who's a bit of a regular contributor on the show in 8.54, um, Derek Garcia in 4th and then Chris McDonald in 5th and 9.08 so Ooh, yeah, cool. some really good racing on the guy's side.
0: On oh, Chris McDonald's Facebook he, he, he's got a post, he's got a, um, a photo on the bike and it's got uh, there was no doubt this was the coldest, most miserable experience of my life. 80K in, I believed I could win. 120K in, I had to convince myself I could finish. So it sounds like it was a prayer because Chris has been through some pretty kind of horrendous experiences, you know, in the sport. So... It sounds like it was a it was an earned day.
1: Yeah, and then the girls had a, a great race as well. So Danielle um, Mack from the states took it out. She swam one hundred and one, biked five twenty three, and ran three sixteen for a nine forty six nineteen. Um, and equally exciting on the run because she only caught Melanie McQuaid, who was leading for the, you know, for a large part of the day. I only caught her at. I think it was a couple of Ks to go, so Mally McQuaid only ran 3.23 and faded and ended up losing by around about two minutes, so close racing, but also you know really close through the top five, um, you had Jen Arnett in third, Mackenzie Madison, uh, no, Madison in fourth place, and uh, Jessica Fleming in fifth, and there was only yeah, 14 minutes covering the top five girls, so uh, good close racing.
0: Well, we also had the Outlaw Triathlon, and John, and and they have done a good job of this race, haven't it? It's sold out this year. Yes,
1: yeah, so it seems to be really popular. But they also had an absolute shitter of a day. It sounded miserable weather. Uh, I had a couple of I coach a couple of guys sort of in and around the London area, and uh, none of them went out. Only one of them went out training on Sunday because it was such a miserable day. So, uh, yeah. no, they've done a great job, and also we had a post through on uh, Facebook, and apparently in 2013, we mentioned an idiot doing the Outlaw triathlon in a morph suit. That idiot, me, is back, and I'm doing Outlaw this weekend, but on on a 20-inch single-speed BMX. Oh, shout really? Out? Yeah. He's, uh, so Sid Sidowski, and he's raising money for the Birmingham Children's Hospital and their research into treatment of child brain tumours. So I haven't actually looked in the results. I'll do that in a second, or maybe, Bevan, while I'm talking, maybe okay, if you can but- see if you can find... Sid Sidolsky in okay, the results yep. um, but one one thing that they do at the Outlaw race they have teams in there so it's a bit of a scramble to sometimes find the exact results but it looks like Craig, Craig Twig from Team Speed Hub, took it out in 8.50, and then Mark Livesey, now Mark, um, if you're listening, I think you might be Caroline's wife, who I've mentioned on the last couple of weeks on the show, he was in second place in 9.20, and then Carl uh, Dominic Sanderson looks like he was third place, actually I missed one there, Tony McGlashan was second, Mark was third. What about your side of things, John? girls side of things let's just see if i can filter this down oh come on out one step beyond i can't uh, filter the females out looks like to me jenny latham was in first place in nine fifty-five, taking it out from she's the only one who makes page one how are you going with sid there bevan
0: well, okay, so Sid, so okay, let's make predictions here. So Sid, he ended up finishing in a time of sixteen thirty-three thirteen. Yeah, the but the question is, how long do you think so he did so he did the BM did the, the bike ride on a BMX, a one speed BMX, which I can't even comprehend riding 180k for that long. How long do you reckon it took him?
1: Well I I wonder what the cutoff is, because I'm I'm gonna say, say he went I know, say five and a half for the run and maybe an hour and a half for the swim so that's seven, so I guess out there for nine, nine hours something
0: No, he was actually faster than that, he actually took longer in the run, so he took six and a half in the run he rode a 7.56 on the bike and then you're right on the swim ran basically an hour and a half in the swim so, uh, although he did have very long transitions he had a <laughs> 16 minute transition and then a 21 minute transition oh. <laughs> so he he could definitely sharpen up on his transitions but yeah far out, that's a good effort. I don't know if I'd ever want to ride a a Billy BMX for 180k.
1: Uh, Just back to the girls, it looked like second place was Claire Shea-Simmons in 10.25 and third place by the look of it is Marie Johnson. If anybody um, in 10.37, if I have missed any of the girls out, I can't filter by uh, females on the results I've got in front of me so if I have marked them up Email us through and I'll rectify that next week.
0: Maybe we should get on someone from the Outlaw mm. on the show, one of the like the race directors on the show. Because, mm. you know, this is really the best example of a non-WTC race that's come out of nowhere and done a really great job of selling out and actually making a name for itself in a in very much a traditional iron brand kind of race. You know, it's mm. not like a like a Celt man, like a Norseman where it's kind of in a different angle it's actually a pretty traditional model but they've done a a brilliant job they've only been around about five years um if not even that something they're doing something right and it'll be really interesting to kind of get in in, like we know triathlon's big in the uk but i'm sure there's lots of others you know non-wtc races that struggle to get entries so good work the outlaw crew because you're doing something right aren't they
1: i think probably one of the keys is they're part of it's part of a group the one step beyond promotion so they've got uh a lot of, well, I'm pretty sure they've got quite a number of events, so they've really yep. got a, a good database. But at the same time, we've seen other companies do similar things, you know, and, and not be able to succeed. So good on them.
0: Okay, we had Ironman Lake Placid on, and Ironman Lake Placid is the non-pro race, so we are acknowledging the winners, but they aren't pros just to be aware of that.
1: So Corey Devoe from Canada took out the guys' race in 9.31 from Daniel Moore and uh, David Burgess, so pretty close racing, um, 9.30, 9.34 and 9.37. And then on the girls' side of things, uh, we have um, in first place Amy Farrell, Laurie Sherlock in second place in 1031, and Nicole Valentine in third in 1036. Do you know Laurie Sherlock? She might have a really good coach oh Okay, nice. No. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's cool for these guys. Oh, he's a legendary coach, yeah. not just good. Yeah, she did have a good day at the office. Um, it's cool for these guys. So have you spoken to her since? I have not. I've just had one one email from her, and she was pretty pumped. So it's cool for these guys that can now go out there and actually be competing for the for the win um, in an overall race. Whether that, well, that as you're going to find out in the news in a moment, it is going to change again shortly. Um, but yeah. It, Creates a different feel. I know when we were at the Kona seventy point three, for me the race didn't really feel any different. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, because there was no pros there, I'm just yeah, it's not is, it's not going to carry on anyway.
0: Is Lake Placid traditionally? Uh, do you know uh, traditionally what kind of speed of course it is? Because nine and a half, even for age groupers isn't super fast. No, um, it's
1: it's not a it's not a fast fast course, but uh, I I would agree that the, that those times I would have expected someone to be there uh in around sort of that 9-hour mark. But you got to remember, you know, you're not going to well, no, you, it's still got kind of it's still got kind of um spots, so yeah, no, I I was a little bit surprised by that as well. I would have thought there would have been guys knocking on the door of 9 hours.
0: What was the top female times?
1: Uh 10:13 was first and 10:31 was second.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because you you kind of think, like, a lot of top age group guys would, would look at that and, you know, far out, you know, to turn up to an Ironman race, and even though the pros aren't there and just still be the first person across the line is going to be a pretty good motivator for a lot of age group guys. And so um, maybe it was a tough day. I, I don't know much about the course, so um, maybe that is the time it takes here. But, and well done to those who won. I don't want to take any way, anything away from those guys. Team Challenge have had a lot of announcements. John, what's happening?
1: Uh, So basically what they've been doing is compiling a list of pro athletes across all distances and what they're actually earning um, in terms, and we've seen this a little bit. The guys at uh, TRSTriathlon.com, uh, I think that's their website, did this a little while a while back. Um, and I'm not sure if the results are exactly the same, but Challenge basically released their mid-year prize earnings of the top 20 male and female professional athletes racing Olympic and long course racing. Uh, it features just under 700 athletes and was generated as part of Challenge Family's commitment to developing the. Professionals of the Sport, Um, it follows on from their successful pro-athlete forum conducted at Challenge Bahrain, where this was one of the topics discussed. So I think it makes pretty grim readings and I think we we discussed this last time that it was on the, the table as well. Um, number one on the rankings, you got Terenzo Bozzoni, uh, Tim Reed, in second. So Terenzo took home $84,000 in prize money, Tim Reed 61, uh, Gomez 59, Tim Don 58, and Alistair Brownlee 48. So that's your top five and Jan Frodeno was uh, sort of, uh, fifth equal in 48. And then you go down to thirty uh, sort of the ninth ranked athlete was Tim Burkle from Australia and he was taking home sixteen thousand. So it's pretty grim reading when the you know, a guy that's uh, top ten in Kona is only taking home sixteen grand in prize money. Having said all this, you know we know that that's not their total earnings um, because we, you know, talked to Tim Reed, for example, in Kona, and he was saying, you know, you can get pretty good bonuses these days um, and pretty easily double your prize money. But still, that being said, when you're thinking the guy who's sitting in 39th place is earning 16,000, let's say he doubles all of that, then that's 32,000 for the first uh, first half of the year. It's still pretty grim.
0: No, wait. So this is all triathlon races they do, or long-distance races?
1: From, from what I said, uh, they're looking at, I, I think they would have looked at WTC, Ironman, and then uh, looked at um, ITU distance ITU racing, I'd be very surprised if they included things like the French Grand Prix where a lot of the short course athletes can make good money in terms of prize money and racing for a team. So I think mainly for the short course guys, I think their earnings would be inflated quite a bit. And what we've got to remember for the short course guys is they have minimal expenditure in terms of getting to races in terms of they get a lot of support from their national federation so they're pretty much living for free and getting to events for free and a lot of them will be getting paid uh, sort of a stipend as well whereas when we look at the long course names on here then you are purely looking at prize money and endorsements so I think their earning capacity is a lot less
0: and the cost of being in the sport is a lot more expensive because they don't Mm. have their support Mm, exactly. Then, so if we look at the girls, then we've got all and Daniela Reefs at the top, Gwen Jorgensen, and Meredith Kessler up at the top there, down low you've got um Emma Moffat. Um
1: pretty pretty sort of similar numbers, you know. The the girls yeah. down the bottom are sort of in that sort of fourteen, fifteen Sixteen seventeen thousand sort of range, so it looks pretty similar, and we do see that at the majority of events prize money is equitable, so you you would kind of expect this but mm. I, would, I would imagine for a lot of the girls they do not do as well as guys in terms of endorsements just because uh, just I'm the sexist sure, we, sex we live in, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. I think at the top end, it's probably somewhat similar, um, but at the, the lower end, I think a lot of the guys probably do um, better than, than some of the girls.
0: Okay, so WCC have announced some changes to the professional field structure uh, for selected races in 2016, and there are going to be some all female races and all male. Professional races, at least. So, the, the, you know, they won't be paying out for the other parts of the field. And that will be Lake Placid, Wisconsin at 17.3 Augusta for the females. And then for the males, we've we'll got Canada. Uh, Santa Cruz seventy point three and Chattanooga in September as well. So they are going back to this old model, John.
1: They are, which is um, yeah, it's an interesting move. So at Canada at the weekend, you know, we did have a male and female pro field, and this so they're just going to uh, split it up. So still probably distributing the same amount of money, but just splitting it up. And I, I definitely understand. So, but
0: same. So it's actually more money. No, I field. think it'll be
1: the it'll be the same same prize pool that they've got at the moment, but instead yeah, but of the have, males have, will get more. Yeah. I uh, don't, don't know if they announced that, actually. Um, well, no, but you
0: know what I mean? Like, so I'm not saying males will get more, but because there's only one part of the field, there'll be more payout for that part.
1: Not sure. That well, I didn't see that in the announcement. So, for example, at Canada last weekend, there was $100,000 prize money. Um, we'll wait and see what they say, but I would imagine that there'll be $50,000 prize money there, and then there'll be 50000 at Lake Placid for the girls where there was no prize oh. I that's my assumption um but we'll wait and see that there wasn't any um wording of the exact prize money in the press release so i think you know f- f- for these events like Lake Placid you know if you're the race organizer there and you're trying to get some coverage for the race yes you're going to get the you know the one off article in the 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 regional newspaper saying there's an Ironman man on this weekend versus you know they can run five stories on the different uh, pro females that are racing so i think that'll help a lot of the exposure at those events and 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 it will put you know the females on the pedestal at those events whereas often you know if you have got a male and pro uh, male and female, female field, um, you may get a stronger on one side or the other, and they may get a lot more of the coverage. So I think there's some some real positives to it.
0: Don't you think that it's a it's a pity, and it's almost like cost reductions for Ironman, if they do, like, you know, I think it'd be awesome if they say, okay, Iron Canada is still a $100,000 race, mm. but it's just males. And so the payday for the athletes is a lot better, and vice versa for the females in Lake Placid, for example. Um Whereas it's really actually taking away a lot of the money off the board for the race. If you say, well, it's an hour and a $50,000 race because you've only got half the professionals here, if you know what I mean. Mm,
1: yep. No, I'm, I, I will never complain if you suggest that they should pay out more money to the pros.
0: Well, no, I just think, you know, like at the end of the day that it's, you know, maybe there'd be less pros here. But, oh, no. God. I don't know, maybe it seems like if they're doing that, maybe it's about cost reduction, not necessarily about making you know, a good female race. Mm. Um, whereas if they are going to say it's a good male race, and, we're, and for this reason we're keeping the same prize money as what we normally would, you're going to get a much better pro field for the, each sex, and then that makes it a much more appealing race. But if it's just like any other race, well, what's the point? Mm. Yeah, so we we'll find out. Okay, um, we've got big race coming up this weekend, Jumbo. We've got Norseman coming up.
1: We have, and I, I went on to the try dot com, which is their website, and which is Norseman Extreme Try. And apparently, the swim is going to be colder than usual. They didn't actually specify uh, any temperature range there, but apparently, they they had so much snow last year that uh, it is going to be exceptionally cold. And it, we've just done an interview with Melina uh, which is coming up on next week's show and he did the kelp man and he said that was just freezing so they do have alternate plans there but that's one tradition with Norse man it is incredibly cold uh, I also had a look at the bike course that they've got there just to see how, how much climbing they actually do they do uh, about 3000 metres of elevation gain which is a lot so... <laughs> Kona is um, you know, Kona's a hilly course or un- pretty undulating Rolling, course. You, really, yeah, yeah you, do, you certainly got a bit of climbing in there, and that's got th- about 1300 metres of climbing. And say Ironman New Zealand is uh, 681. So, you, from people who have done Ironman New Zealand, it doubles when you go to Kona. And then if you want to go and do Norseman, it's almost, uh, it's not triple, but it's uh, you know, about two and a half times the amount of climbing. And uh, that is reflected in the times which are typically a pretty slow day at the office but the big challenge with Norseman is the run and you have 1800 meters of elevation gain in that and a big part of that is in the second half of the run so yeah it's a tough day at the office and good luck to everybody who's going to Norseman.
0: Mm. It's one of those races that everyone seems to love too so good luck to everyone racing okay we've also got in the Netherlands mm.
1: it's the first year isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is, I think you might be right there, mm. uh, but pretty good field, Bas and seed number one Cyril Vino uh, in there as well so it should be a good race amongst those guys and then a lot of male names uh, that I'm not familiar with Yori J- Vels- Van Stellant who's uh, one of the great Belgium Jew athletes is in there and yeah, so a lot of Fraser melts down on there um, so a lot of guys, you know, again this time of the year we see a lot of sort of the second, third tier guys starting to dominate the dojo at races because, uh, you know, all the Kona athletes have pretty much got their tickets booked. Um, on the girls' side of things, we've got some, some good names there. I mean, the girls' field is Vaughan. actually really strong. Um, on well, Vaughn
0: Vavleukens, you'll want to win it because
1: he's obviously, you know, national. Exactly. Um, Michelle Vesterby is in there. She's had a number of challenges. She was down at Ironman UK a couple of weeks ago and uh, had a a DNF, I think, went off course a little bit as well. Um, Corrine Abraham is in there, and you're going to hear just a little bit later on from Torsten that she was one of the last qualifiers uh, to make it. So whether or not she actually does race or whether she just starts getting herself ready for for Kona um, will be another question. And one name to watch out for in there, Sarissa de, v- de v- Vries from um, in the Netherlands. She is a former ITU girl and uh, used to be pretty handy, so she could be one to keep an eye on.
0: Okay, and we've also
1: got uh, no other non WTC races
0: this year. Week. Like,
1: what's uh, what that about? No, we do. We, we've got a few non WTC races. Also got Ironman Boulder, um, but that's going to be another one of the uh, another one of the non no pro races, yeah. um, and then. Non WTC races coming up this weekend. We've got Norseman and what else we got? We've got the, the Slovak 226, you've got the Ostalman and we've got the Berlin Triathlon XL. Okay,
0: Jumbo, member remember team, we have got our now our race submit page. And if you go to. What, what's this what website you got here, John?
1: Oh, I don't know. It's a bloody spell checker. If, you, if, you, if I ever type in I am talk, I get Immolate. <laughs> okay, emulate, and if I don't I, so go to emulate.me or iamtalk.me, then uh, we've got a little race button, but a race guide button up in the top uh, right corner.
0: emlate but it's a website that has nothing. Like it's just
1: a picture. Oh, I don't know. It's just a stupid spell checker or spell. What do you call it? Spell corrector or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. Anyway, we've got we've got a few races submitted, but we certainly need quite a lot more. So guys, you basically go on there, it'll probably take three or four minutes and you basically tell us all about the iron distance race um that you like and all the extra little things in terms of where to stay, cool things to go, and then we can create a really cool document to to share with the, the community. Okay, okay Jumbo sponsor Extreme Endurance. Oh, you electric buffer. There's a couple of things going on here. I I want to talk about probiotics because I love my probiotics. It's something we uh, feed Thomas up with every day. If you're somebody who has, um, maybe you haven't had traditionally had a fantastic diet, and you're sort of on the. trying to improve things, you know, really looking after your gut is is really important. So Probiotic provides 25 billion viable probiotic cultures of 10 strains of beneficial bacteria. This used to be known as uh, Extreme Gut Endurance. So if you have problems with your gut, or if you've had a shitty diet for a long period of time, you really need to repair what's going on down there, this is a great choice. So check it out, xendurance.com, under Products, and it's now called Probiotic. But the other thing, when I was on X Endurance the other day, um, I was having a look, you know, one of the athletes that they sponsor and work with is Timo Bracht, who recently finished second at Challenge Rote, and, you know, he's been a, a top athlete for a, for a long time. And I, I saw a picture of him finishing in Rote, and he's um, he's now got a new team that he's set up with Team Sport for Good, and I was wondering what the hell that's all about. And it um, it's, it's an, looks like an interesting concept, a bit like what Chris Lieto's doing um in hawaii was sort of more than sport they're really trying to make a statement they've got a team of really good um athletes they've got timo brak um jan Raphael, and uh, sort of th- three or four other it was five of them five german guys and they've, they've teamed up with laurier sport for good and that's the the, the organization that does that massive big sports awards each year which is very oh, prestigious yeah, yeah, yeah. um and they're, they're trying to make a bit of a statement about that there are a bunch of guys and that what they sort of stand for and it's a as I said, a bit more than sport sort of type thing. Um but so check it out. It's called Team dot org and they're just trying to yeah, um try and do things a little bit differently their approach was created by athletes for athletes the sportsmen have known and respected each other's for years they founded the team upon their own initiative and from the inside out the athletes benefit from numerous synergies of a team approach but they also have the right and opportunity to act independently and they're really what it was there um, there's just got some principles in terms of good stuff yeah in terms of just doing more than just going out there and racing they're actually trying to do some good around the community so check it out with uh, team sport for good.org and uh, Timo- uh Timo is uh, sponsored by X Endurance team.
0: So if you want to get some X Endurance, go to xendurance.com and uh, you can get some probiotic or you can get some of the traditional products. But you can't go too wrong when you get their products, team. Okay, Jonbo, discussion of the week. I have to say it was a pretty poor effort last, <laughs> last week's question. <laughs> we'll get like five answers. Oh yeah, it's a good, good topic though. Good <laughs> okay, topic. let's have a talk about it. So the topic was, uh, would a pro multi-lap, e.g. three-lap uh, three swim, uh, lap, bike um, of around 15 to 20 k's and run of around 7 k's. I may work for a strong pro field. And if so, what would you do to make it interesting?
1: Jeremy Hotwood, he'd, be, he'd go out there and bloody kill them. He said, Jeez. make the 20 k bike, Luke. 10k up, 10k down a hill. Better still, make it a 5-lap swim, a laps of 800 metres, a 20-lap bike of 9 kilometres, and a 14-lap of 3 kilometres. Get lapped and you're out. Gives incentives to attack like a madman or woman to catch and eliminate the field as each lap presents roughly 10 minutes. Go for a 10-minute lead and take the cash.
0: Well, I've got an idea. It's just popped up in my head here, John, but I'll tell you about it in a second. Mark Dixon's got... If you went multi-lap, you are not simply, you're not simply turning it into ITU racing. What's next? Drafting? Maybe be better for TV coverage, but not sure if it would improve as a race.
1: Michael Kennedy, I think for this to work, the age groupers would have to be on the Saturday with the pros on the Sunday to make it more interesting you could make an enduro format, a 70.3 followed by an Olympic followed by a sprint. That's a good idea, Michael.
0: Okay, then we've also got Lucy Francis. As I'm still aching from Ironman Zurich and my mind is a bit hazy, here's my gut feeling. I do like the courses as they are at the moment, uh, but as the certain elements change, such as the swim rolling start, which I tried this weekend, I'm surprised to find that I actually enjoy them. So the answer to your question is perhaps that a multi-lap format should be trialed for at a race to see how well it works.
1: Joshua Hickey hosts the age group race on Saturday and the pros on Sunday so we can spectate and celebrate. And Mark McGuinness agrees with that and Travis Tremaine agrees as well.
0: Okay, Christine McKinley has got, it would have to be draft legal, surely, though this could make it an exciting viewing as the race would be a little bit closer. As for making it interesting, just as uh, make sure Andre is the with his top off, that would be enough for me. Oh, Come I'm on. So you're we're, perv, geez. Oh, you're perv, you sex is perv. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: the only one that's allowed to be sexist around here. Yeah, exactly. It's Houston's job. So good at it. Bevan, what's your big idea? Okay.
0: So the problem I have with the, this whole idea is that I'm in racing is pretty boring, and and really, other than Kona, it's pretty rare you get to see close racing in the last part of the race. And so you know, you, you might you know, occasionally we get a race where there's some you know an exciting finish. So here's my idea: is basically it's a lap now this it's totally outside of Man, but it's basically the, each time you do a lap, you stop and you and you wait for everyone to get in, and then you start the lap again. So you get what I mean. So you might do I don't know, you do five laps of an 800 meter swim. So everyone does an 800 meter swim, and then and there's a cutoff. So if you're five minutes behind, you're out of the race. But then you know, basically, then you start the next lap, and so you kind of restart the race every time everyone finishes a lap. You get what I mean? No. <laughs> okay, so so there's ten athletes. You do a 500 meter swim, yeah, and then everyone stops until everyone's in, and then there's maybe a minute's rest, and then you start again. And basically, it's an accumulated time thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it's totally not Man, but then at the end of the day, it's basically you're having lots of small races with bugger all rest in between, and then it's an accumulation of basically time points as you move throughout the day. So because the thing that I think is, if you do a lap course, it's still going to be one guy's miles ahead the next guys you know 10 minutes behind it's actually not that exciting
1: yeah no it's uh, i guess what i my my theory along this is yeah it's not go- i don't think it's going to change ridiculously how the race would would unfold but in terms of actually getting more engagement for the spectators and the athletes I think it could be really cool so I don't if I use Kona for example and I don't think Kona is the right place to do it but in terms of the Kona course you know if you if you were a spectator and you were on Palani Hill which for people who haven't been there is a nice long straight climb well not long but uh, you know it's like a 500 meter, 600 meter um, straight climb. If you were a pro and if you were a spectator, sitting on that hill each day and watching the pros come past, you know, say they did a 20 kilometer circuit, would be cool fun. Um, a bit like what they do in Rote in terms of the couple of hills there. You know, you had these massive crowds. So it's really for me about trying to create a bit more excitement for spectators. Um, I think that would make for a lot better viewing on TV as well as if you've got the, the cameras like when you, you see them riding up in the Tour de France. And I know no, that's maybe not the best example because it's a different event, but if you've yeah. got climbing up um, there with you know crowds of people rather than you know just going through some boring bloody town, I think it would it would add a lot so I don't think it needs to be draft legal um because um yeah, you know, it's it's uh, unless you're going to go for a very technical course where things would consternate up a lot on the corners, I don't think it needs to be draft legal. But I think it, and and it needs to be a strong field. It needs to be at regional championship level. Otherwise, if it is your standard Ironman, where you've got twenty pro guys, and they're spread out over an hour and a half, then it won't make much of a difference, um, but yeah, I, I think it needs to be on a separate day or it needs to be late in the day, and I don't know how the logistics of that would work out. you know it might be you know the age group has started at six thirty and the pro race started um, sort of late afternoon, so they're racing and they're going to finish it you know nine o'clock at night or something and I, don't, I haven't thought through if that would work logistically or you would do it on the next day, so age group is on Saturday and pros on Sunday. now I've said before. I don't think it's realistic to expect to have an Ironman on two consecutive days but if um, for, for age group it's like having the men one day and the females just because of the logistics involved but if you were doing a multi lap pro race well, the logistics are a lot less you know you have one aid station per lap and thing, and, you, and you wouldn't have to close down anywhere near as much road so potentially it might work in the right sort of place but I think something's got to change because at the moment you know you watch uh, watching oh, most Ironman races is watching is watching paint dry. It's um, bloody boring.
0: I think one other thing that WTC could look to do is to say, like you know, if we look at t- t- today. There's been the news of the male and female races. Uh, it's almost like maybe one they have one race a year, which is always kind of the experimental race, where it's mm. literally, you know, we're going to do this Ironman Boulder every year. We're going to try new stuff, and and it might be totally extreme, and you know, but because the thing is, we've it's a bit of a problem with triathlon and we see WTC kind of shifting right now. They're, they're trying different things, but you know, traditionally the sport, the, the period you loved was very much the, we have a, a level of athlete who has this fitness and skill set, and we just kind of chuck all these different challenges at them. And and, uh, and it was really an interesting time. And then once the Olympics came around, triathlon became this kind of two tiered sport really. It wasn't all three. You kind of had Olympic um, halves and then Ironman. Whereas you know, now we're starting to see W. I mean, ITU move back to this kind of experimental kind of place. Mm. But imagine if Ironman were to as well. Well, here we, we've got these athletes who have a level of skill and fitness. Maybe we have an Ironman race once a year where we do try different things. You know, it might be my stupid idea. Or it might be, mm. you, know, you know, things like it's just a multi-lap course or it might be something completely different. But in each year it may change. And it allows us to experiment with the sport in a way that could evolve it to introduce new concepts that could be cool, you know, in the long term in different ways in the sport.
1: Mm. I just think it would be awesome to be, go and do your Ironman on Saturday and then Sunday sit down and watch the pro race. Automatically you've got a field of, you know, a a spectator field of, you know, two or 3,000 people and if they can congregate on different parts of the course it would be a pretty cool experience and I think the pros would love
0: it. Do you know what another cool idea would be is – the pro race after the pro race. So what you do is you have the pro race on Saturday, and then on Sunday you have a sprint race for the for the top ten pros
1: to qualify for the next year.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you make you put a lot of money in it, so they have to work really hard. Yes. That'd be pretty cool because they'd be screwed. Okay, John, this week's discussion.
1: It could be weeks. so I'm happy for you to veto it if you'd like to.
0: Okay, wait, let's have a look what you got here. Uh, what can we do with the coverage of the pro race to make them more spectator? What well, was kind of what we were just talked Okay, I'm going to anyway.
1: say, I've just aborted that one. Abort, yeah, abort.
0: What do we do? Um, What are you listening to that's not triathlon related when you're training? That's always a good one. So. Okay. It can be music, it can be podcasts, non-triathlon. So, you know, not other triathlon podcasts or other triathlon things. You know, what what do you listen to right now that's, like, I, my favorite podcast right now is a podcast called Never Not Funny. It's um, this comedian called Jimmy Pardo. He's um he, he's you know, he's an acquired taste. You have to listen to him to a few times, but then once you have, he becomes pretty addictive. Um, but, yeah, you know, what, what are you listening to outside of triathlon? And, uh, yeah, you can get onto it there
1: nice okay john age Age grouper of the week this one was sent in by ben and ben hasn't put a surname and he does comment later on that probably possibly we wouldn't be able to pronounce it so anyway ben is nominating his wife Anne marie watson as age grouper of the week
0: so wait she didn't take his name
1: well i don't know she may have done but ben just said it's just ben I think, That's I think yeah. it's fine. Because if
0: it's Watson, uh, I think we could have handled it better. I think
1: we could have. <laughs> anne comes from an ultra-running background and first dabbled in triathlon in 2011 as an alternate to running whilst living in the UAE as running was virtually impossible over there in the summer heat. So she said, I'll just get into triathlon, and then... She, uh, good old Ben here sent a, a nice long email and it's got some absolute stuff but I am just going to trim it down a little bit so she came from a trail running background but then started into triathlon but she still kept going with her trail running Bevan you can look this up while I'm actually reading, okay, we go. she got a silver buckle at the North Face 100 and we often talk about you know getting these different coloured swim caps for reaching different times at Ironmans and that's what they do at the North Face so she got a silver buckle so I assume that's related to some sort of time. Uh, Anne Marie Headed over to Europe in the summer of 2013 under the pretense of taking part in the half distance. Big man triathlon in the Czech Republic. It wasn't until I was looking unsuccessfully for her name and the results that she did confess to having entered the iron distance race and she'd actually won it. She hadn't wanted to tell me or any of the other team that she was worried would tell her off for not having done enough training for it. So I don't know if these guys were married at this stage, but that's a pretty big thing when you go off to a race and you don't tell either your partner or your husband or whatever, I'm actually doing an iron distance race, not a half. So she's quite... <laughs> Devious as Amory. Um, so things carried on, and then in uh, January 2014, they moved to, I don't know how you pronounce this, uh, Raida in Saudi Arabia, possibly one of the most difficult environments for a female athlete. Training was restricted to hiding in the peloton in a group of rides, usually six to eight riders um, from the rider wheelers, running around the diplomatic quarter, a 17. 17- Rocky Trail loop of ru- loop of running uh, or running around our Western compound where Western dress is allowed. That in itself doesn't sound too bad on the face of it. But apart from running around the compound, a 1.2 kilometre circuit, all the other activities required Anne Marie to have to rely on someone else accompanying her and or driving her. Not something that comes easily to a fiercely independent lady. Because obviously in that part of the world, you know, the yeah. women are not allowed to do anything, and she also have to. Wear We're we're one of those things all over her head as well. Um, On a positive side, 2014 did have a big goal where she would concentrate on qualifying for the 2014 70.3 World Champs in Mont-Tremblant. First up, she went to Abu Dhabi and uh, just did a bit of a hit out there, getting third place. And then she went off to Axon Provence and finished in third place there. But it's pretty tricky to get in 70.3 at some races, and she still hadn't qualified. Uh, so then she now everything now hinged on Luxembourg. But with potentially stronger competition, having discovered this thanks to a bit of research on Athlinks, it was going to be a tough ask. Sure enough, despite a new P70.3 PB, finishing under five, athletes, checking me for the first time, she only finished fifth in her age group. Luckily, this time for the roll-down gods were on her side, and she duly qualified. Uh, But then... But then but then but wait there's more it's like wait, a of, there's more Ginzu knives she set off on the challenge of doing the 2015 edition of the Marathon des Sables mm, and, yeah. uh, and for you guys who haven't read about that race it's the one where you're basically running across the desert, desert for yeah. days on bloody end and she kicked off um, pretty sensibly I was very proud of her going through the first checkpoint around 300th place overall and hope she wasn't overdoing it I was truly underestimating her as she was that um, her as that was her lowest point of the whole race over the course of the next six days. She would continually move up the rankings, eventually getting into the top 50th overall and finishing in second place female. Wow. Bloody nice effort. Yeah, that's impressive. Um they're actually leaving Saudi Arabia on the 30th of June, so they're gone and uh, going back to the UK for some normal training. It's not ideal, um, but a week later, they head over to Challenge Road, so they will have done and dusted that, where he, um, Ben was seriously concerned that he might get checked again. I hope you guys have outlined... Um, Is justification enough for Anne-Marie to be chosen to be your age group of the week? I truly believe that her patience, perseverance and dedication make her a worthwhile candidate. I know that she's been an inspiration to many other ladies, especially here in Saudi Arabia, where she has shown that regardless of what constraints society may place on you, that doesn't mean you should compromise your own goals. In her own words from her coaching website, more is in you.org life is not a rehearsal what change are you going to make even if you don't make it her age group of the week i don't think i could be even more proud of my awesome wife Oh, well, he's, he's a
0: brave, being your very proud husband, and Anne-Marie, and you sound like you're a bloody rock star. Now, just to go back to your question earlier on, John, both the silver buckle at the North Face 100, that means that it's basically for those who finish under 14 hours, so there's kind of levels of buckles. Gold buckle is for the winning male and female, and then anybody who finishes under 14 hours gets the silver, and then anyone under 20 hours gets the bronze, and then belt buckles are available for those who finish the races. So nice. Mm. It's a good
1: so work, good work, Amory. You bloody uh had to train in some fairly inhospitable conditions there in the Middle East. And then uh not giving up on the goal of getting seventy point three worlds despite having a few kickbacks and then just smoking it in the in that marathon des Sables, which just it just sounds like an insanely difficult event. So nice work and hope you guys had a good day and road. Who is the guy from Pyramid's Multisport? he Yes, Ian, yeah, that's right, Ian. He'd done it. Because I mean, remember, he had all his photos,
0: and mm. uh, geez, that looks like an amazing event, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. So it's like a whole lot of fun. So, <laughs> okay, John Bowes, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, sorry. Emory
1: Watson, you are our
0: age hey, group, group of, of the week. week. Okay, John, three, two, one. fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. Okay, Brett Chance, sent through this once. John, what is it?
1: So this is not an official stat, but I think it's probably correct. And we'll come on to my incorrectness of my Stats-tastic in a moment. Uh. <laughs> uh, Brett Chan said, stats question. This was actually asked by Brent McMahon's coach, Lance Watson. 7.56 for Brent McMahon at Ironman Brazil. That's on the heels of a 7.55 Ironman debut in Arizona last fall. Has anyone ever gone sub-eight hours in their first two Ironman attempts? I doubt it. That's pretty impressive. I can pretty much... No, I can't guarantee. Are you going to put the Bevan Isles guarantee on this? Yes, I am actually. I'm
0: putting the. No, yes, Bevan Isles guarantee means it hasn't been researched. So, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the Bevan Isles guarantee. The Bevan James Isles guarantee, I reckon, it's a, a no brainer. How many other people would have gone sub eight in their first two mean?
1: I'm sure the person that will be able to tell us would be John uh, Levison from Try247. We could
0: just look at his website. We
1: could because he's got all the, um, all the sub-eight finishes and that would probably give us a fairly good clue. But I can't imagine anybody having done this. I mean, there's only a pretty select group that have been sub-eight. I know that group's expanding all the time, but still, that's pretty impressive. And he'll be in Kona this year and it um, would be interesting to see what sort of a force he is when he gets there.
0: Okay, I'm got I've gone to John's website. So wait a second. We're in. Uh, try two four seven, and if I just do a search for sub two seven. Okay, John. While we're here, last week on the show,
1: I got put under pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like being put under pressure. Right? Bevan blindsides me with all these things, and I said I've got this really good idea for a stats tastic. Yeah, and I said, uh, and I just said, do it now, do it now. And I said, oh no, no, And yes, Bevan said, do it, do it, and I hadn't done my research. And technically, part of it's not quite correct. So um, Pam sent us through an email and somebody else sent through something on Facebook as well. In your last episode, you said that Olympic triathlon has been dominated by Europeans. You forgot that Emma Snowsill dominated the 2008 Olympic race. Better revise your stats, but keep up the stats tastic. So Pam... And she wasn't
0: the only email, to be honest, John. I just don't want to hurt your feelings. Right. So yeah. I think
1: where I, where I got led astray, I think I, I only named three Olympic champions, and I think I completely forgot about Beijing. In my defence... Yep. Emma was pretty much German now, so she's European. She's married to Jan Fredino, so <laughs> I'm calling her German. She's changed her nationality, and uh, so my, my original call that European athletes have dominated the Olympics is kind of correct.
0: Yeah, you, of course you're right. Mm. You okay. Go. Sub I in eight I men. let's have a look where's the sub I AM let's um oh I have to do way too much research John
1: yeah John, <laughs> John, 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 John Leveson, John back us up we'll back up Brett Chan and uh, let us know if there's been anyone who's been sub eight on the first two races and equally
0: well there wouldn't be that many guys who've done sub eight twice I think, you know it's not that many no. but, so wait we'll, let me have a look here equally Chris has done it four times Marino's done it four times. Keenley's done at three, Brack's done at three, Rayleigh's done it twice, Llanos twice, Jürgen Zek twice, Lida twice, Hal Regal twice, Brittmann none, nah, no, nah, there's no way.
1: Yeah.
0: Cause Mecca wasn't. No. I can't yeah, he would have done plenty before. Yeah.
1: Especially on debut. And equally, let's let's see, um, John, if you're listening, see if any girls have done this on debut gone sub nine in their first two races. Ooh. Okay. What about wow. Chrissy? I would be surprised if Chrissy went sub-9. Not in her first two. Because she, she did Man career before um, before going to Kona. And, yeah, and, and did she, there she go sub-9 nine nine her first year in Kona? Oh, I don't know. She, she would have been in the ballpark, but you know, I don't know.
0: Well, only, only what, two, four, six, eight, ten guys have gone sub-eight ever. <laughs> mm. So the Bevan Jandiles guarantee actually is proved to be correct this time, I think. Okay. Okay, I'm saying it. Good work. Saying Good it. work.
1: Awesome. Right, guys, now we've got Torsten on to talk about all things qualifying for Kona.
0: Okay, here he is.
1: Righty-ho, it's that time of the year where the first round of Kona qualifiers uh, is announced. It'll be announced in the next couple of days, but all the racing is done and dusted, so we have a pretty clear idea of who's going and who's not. But the man who always has his uh, finger on the pulse and knowing exactly what's going on in the world of Kona qualifying and KPR is Torsten from TryRating.com. Welcome back to the show, Torsten. Thanks for having me again, guys. Uh, look, Bevan and I would be able to mumble our way through this possibly, and probably get about uh, ten, you know, about a million things wrong. But you know, you know what's going on. So, can you just firstly maybe uh, give us a really quick explanation of um, how the the sort of the Kona qualifying sort of happens these days? Because you know it inside out, but I think a lot of people out there just see the names and don't always know how it actually all happens.
2: Yeah, I guess the main difference is that as an age grouper, you just qualify in one race, you get your slot or not. Whereas for pros, they have to race a couple of, of races. And then there's this uh, KPR, uh, Kona Pro Ranking that's going on that decides where people uh, pe- if people get a slot or not. So the base ideas are pretty simple. It gets complicated once you get down to the nitty-gritty details. But um, depending on the place that you finish in a professional Ironman race, You get assigned points, Um, the higher up you finish, the more points you get, and the more prestigious the race is, also the more points the race offers. So, for example, the regional championships offer 4,000 points to the winner, whereas all the other regular Ironman races just offer 2,000 points to the winners, and then that scales obviously down. So points for the place you finish, then you can have uh, up to five results in your total um, three of those can be from uh, Ironman races, um, and the other two can be from 70.3s that you can tack on there, or you can add more 70.3s to if you want to. And then there's two cutoffs. Uh, one is at the end of July, which is uh, where we are at at right now, where 40 male and 28 females, the top of those Uh, get a Kona slot, and then another 10 and 7 at the end of August. So you end up with 50 slots for the men and 35 for the women. And the fourth component is that there are, on top of these point slots, um, automatic qualifiers for the previous five years Kona winners, provided they validate in an Ironman, and the winners of the regional championships, they get an automatic qualifier slot for Kona as well. So that's KPR in 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talked about the um, well, two, two things there. The
1: past one, as you said, is it now just um, the last five years that, um, that count?
2: Yes, it ah. has always been the last five years, is cool. at least for the automatic qualifier slots. I think every winner still gets to race Kona, but not in the pro field. Maybe they have to do uh, age group racing, right. um, but I'm not sure if any of the previous Kona winners ever did that. Yeah. And um and also just one
1: other question I had around that uh, you you talked about the automatic qualifiers in terms of past 5 year champions and also those that win the regional champs is that over and above the um the allotment of 50 and 35 or is that inclusive does that include the, the 50 include those automatic qualifiers?
2: No, the the automatic qualifiers are on top of the point slots. So you have 50 point slots plus the automatic qualifiers for the men and 35 uh, plus the automatic qualifiers for the women. So that sometimes makes it a bit tricky when you look at the uh, way uh, WTC puts out the rankings because they have just one big ranking and they don't um, distinguish between those that do have an automatic qualifier slot and those that don't. So it's sometimes hard to figure out where the where the cutoff for the forty point slots or or thirty five point slots is going to be.
1: Nice, uh, um, you you obviously um, keep in touch with some of the pros, and you you seem to be pretty active on Twitter and social media and stuff. You know, again, we look at the rankings at the moment. You know, you, you know that there's some people who have maybe said they're definitely not going, or maybe some that are unsure who are currently ranked in the top um, in the top 40 or the top 28. Do you know of anybody who's who said they're not going, or some people
2: who said they're probably not going who are ranked highly? Yeah I haven't I've looked around whether there were any official statements that I was able to find um, but um so far everything is just speculation uh, to the best of my knowledge um the only one that seemed to be certain at least a couple of days ago but that may change was Marino Van Oornacker who said he's not going to race Kona again mm. um, but then he said he, he might reconsider or rethink the issue uh, after his win in Austria and Marino is also one of the automatic qualifiers so even if he if he goes or if he doesn't uh, take a slot that doesn't really affect anyone uh, of the in the point slot so um, even though he may be an interesting one then um, that doesn't really um, change anything where uh, we won't get a roll down if he declines a slot right but other than that I mean you could just go and speculate a bit Um, we know Cam Brown declined a slot last year Uh, We know um, Victor have declined his slot last year, Um, so maybe they'll decline again this year. Um, But we don't know if that's going to happen in July. I mean, for example, Cam was qualified last year for July as well, and then he raced uh, Metaman in in August. And once that went well, uh, he declined his Kona slot in in August, so we don't know. They can they can just accept in July and then decline later in August, and that will obviously affect uh, how the roll down is going to happen, whether it's going to go against the July rankings or whether it's going to go against the August rankings. So a lot of speculation there, and there's similar names on the on the female side that are thinking about um, declining their slots. But um, again, we have no official statements from them, and it's just pure speculation. Um, In the past, we've seen very few declines in July, uh, more in August, and that's pretty much what I expect to happen uh, again this year. Maybe one slot on the female and one slot on the male rolling down, but I'd be surprised if it was more than that. So if you, if, if you decline your spot in, uh, in July, you can actually re-accept a spot if you're still ranked high enough come August time? No, once you decline the slot, uh, it's gone and you have no way of, of getting it again. Right. That's why a lot of people just accept the, the slot in July and then think about it uh, in August or maybe do other races and then decline at the end of August. And do they
1: um the pros have to pay uh extra money for Kona or is it included as part of their, the the seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred and fifty or whatever they pay for their year's
2: uh w t c license as far as I know it's included in this in this fee uh you pay wins and you can race as often as you can um and I'm not aware of any extra payment for Kona that they have to go. Mm. Well, I mean, the discussion was was always going in the other direction. I mean, you you wouldn't want to have co- uh, pros uh, pay for the privilege of racing in Kona, but rather um, pros getting paid uh, for um, getting to Kona and racing there in the best shape possible. So um, I don't think they that um, asking them to pay extra for it would be a popular measure there.
1: Well, I certainly know The year, I mean, this was a long time ago now, but 2005, I race pro, and uh, and I certainly remember you had to pay the entry fee back then.
2: <laughs> but things yeah, have but changed a lot did, then. They didn't have the pro system as it is now with just the flat fee and races off issue one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I will say that I'm, I'm pretty sure Cam Brown is racing. Um, when I heard an interview with him a while ago just on the New Zealand media, he was certainly indicated that he was going back on. Um, so, that will be one to, to watch. Um, now, obviously, some people will have uh, scraped in because of the automatic qualifiers and so on. So, you know, the person who's ranked 28th is not necessarily the, the last person to qualify. Um, so, who are, the, who are some of those people who have just scraped in in those last couple of positions?
2: Well, the last one that I have on the male side is uh, Mikkel Blanchard-Tinto, who's, uh, who's ranked 49th in the WTC rankings. Um, in front of him is Daniel Breccia, who raced this weekend. Uh, Terenzo just scraped in as 38th in the numbers of, of point slots. Uh, Victor Del Corral, Mike Talsic, those are the last uh, male uh, that just scraped in. And on the females, uh, that was pretty close because uh, we had a couple of athletes that would have been able to score some points in in Whistler, but um, couldn't finish quite high enough. So the last uh, on the female side is Asa Lundström, uh, Tina Decker, Corrine Abraham, who just scraped in uh, Kelly Williamson, Annabel Luxford. They were pretty close to the, to the cutoff line there. Nice.
1: Now, I know you're extremely passionate about the the 50-woman Tacona um, and, and making that happen, but I was really interested. To, my sort of take on a lot of the equality issues is having a, an equal path to actually get there. So if you're the 10th best female in the world or you're the 20th best female in the world, you should be able to follow a pretty similar qualifying um, procedure as the tenth best male and twentieth best twentieth um, best male, for example. So, I, I sort of asked before we did this interview if you maybe can compare some of the paths to some of those athletes at the at the different sort of levels of qualifying, say tenth, twentieth, and thirtieth, and what sort of path say the males have taken versus say say the females. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I mean, if if you're one of those top 10 or top 15 athletes, regardless of whether you're uh, a top female or a top male, um, you pretty much uh, assured uh, a Kona slot, or if if you want to attack it the other way, if you're a top 10 finisher in Kona, you probably already have enough points to make it to Kona the year after, provided that you have um, like a, a decent validation race somewhere in in the schedule. So you don't really have to worry too much about um you know, shaping up your season so you're able to get the points to make it to Kona. And that's pretty similar for male and female. Um, At that point, you're just uh, good enough that uh, qualifying is not your main focus of the season. Obviously, you're more thinking about um, making it to Kona in the best shape possible and have the best race possible in Kona for you. Um, But once you get down to, say, 25th, 35th place, at least for the women... Then you're you're in a position where you really have to think hard. Um, how much racing do I have to do um, to make it there? So if uh, I mean the the class, uh, Beth Gerdes, uh she finished up um, 17th in the in the point slots with a couple of automatic qualifiers. So she's like uh, 23rd overall in the points. Um, she, she had to race that often in order to be assured um, to clear the the cutoff line to be in the top 30, uh, 28 for, for June, for July. Um, so her last few races that she did, uh, even winning Switzerland, she probably wouldn't have had to do that if she were a male athlete. Um, so that really influences how you have to set up your season and how you have to plan your races. And it will also affect um, your ability to, do, to have a great race in, in Kona at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's for, for me, that is the main um, differentiator or the main impact that the different number of slots has. is it's just not where does the cutoff occur, but how do um, let's say athletes have to set up their season in order to make it to Kona under these different regimes mm-hmm. and the incentives and the um, requirements that are put in place for the females are different from uh, the requirements that the men have to fulfill. And that has a much, much Bigger influence than just, um, yeah, do I make it in or not? Mm.
1: But according to Andrew so, Messick, according to Andrew Messick, it's easier for the girl. So I remember you, your blood was boiling when you heard that
2: <laughs> Yeah, I was listening to the interview when I was, uh, writing, uh, to my, my day job in the train. And I think I screamed at the, at the iPod <laughs> I was listening to. It, and I probably got a couple of weird stares in the train at that point. But yeah, I, to me, that, that's just, um, um, not very um, friendly towards the uh, female athletes that are um, racing their heart out to make it to Kona. Um, you have this this happy story of Beth Gurd is making it in, um, winning the final race where she absolutely had to deliver a good result. But you also have other stories like like Dede Griesbauer, who who um, is just beyond the cutoff. She's in thirtieth um, point slot at this point, uh, just out of the um, the, the July qualifiers. Um, she had one in Ironman, she was second in another one, uh, she was first in a 70.3, she was second in another 70.3, and she was still short of the points required to qualify, wow. and she raced again in Coeur d'Alene, and that's where the unfortunate accident happened to her, where a, a truck entered the, the course and um, hit her, so she's still struggling with the with the impact of that, and I mean, it's not a um, direct consequence of the of the qualifying uh, system for sure that that accident happened, but she wouldn't have been on the race course if she didn't have to race there and she would have been focusing on Conan's instead.
1: So I, no- I notice um, around about those last sort of qualifying spots, it's basically a 1,000 points difference. So the last guy qualifying is around about that 3,800 points and the last girl is about 4,700 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Now, is, there, is this a similar and number of can points? You also look through the the number of Ironman races that they did. And uh, for the last years, it was basically the women had to race an extra half full distance Ironman race. The, uh, the difference is a little bit smaller with the changes in the system this year. But um, women have to race absolutely more often than the men to make it to Kona. And that's why I think the statement that uh, Andrew Messick did that it's easier for the women to qualify is just plain wrong. Mm.
1: Um, is it the, the number? Of, I know at the start of each year you, you often uh, do a bit of a prediction on how many points are required, and there has been some changes this year. Uh, firstly, did you get it about right, and, and is the number of points this year similar to what we've seen in the previous years?
2: Yeah, I did, did get it more or less right for the male. Uh, I didn't get it right for the female, but um, I think to everyone's surprise, the uh, cutoff number for the females, at least uh, for July, was lower than what it was last year. And um, um, it, yeah, it seemed to be that le- like there was some, some magic number that everyone tried to cross and just came up short and came up short. Uh, so the, the female number was just lower than what we've seen uh, last year, but um, I think the uh, uh, simulation or the, the, the projection that I do uh, gives athlete a good indication of what they need to shoot for and how they need to set up their, their season in order to make it to qualify. And obviously, there's there's these small influences. Whether you finish up second, third, or fourth, it's just a small difference. But you need to be able to put you in a position where you can finish second, and you can get the points. So, yeah, I'm. I'm not uh, too proud of um, the female projection, but that's just a weird racing that was going on there this year, I guess. Nice. Now, um, yeah, you
1: know, often what I do is I, I, look through the list and actually see who's outside the, the, you know, the, the, current qualifiers and who would actually have an impact on the race and wondering why they're not necessarily there. Um, so there's some, I know there's some good athletes who, who aren't in the top rankings, but there's, there are some very good athletes who potentially could have an impact. So the names that I sort of saw on there initially were both the Raylert brothers, and neither of them qualified. Mm-hmm. Caitlin Snow, Sonia um, and Michelle Vesterby. Is, is there any other sort of uh, big names that you that, that could either be top ten or have been top ten that you've seen that have missed out?
2: Yeah, for on the men's side, I um, I would get up with uh, or mention uh, Jordan Rapp. Um He was second in Arizona. And then had a DNF in Texas and probably is back to the drawing board for for next season already at this point. Um, James Kudoma also didn't have a very good season this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of them, I I think, both of them finished in the top 10, right? Uh, James Mm -hmm. for sure. James, Uh, I think Jordan was just just outside, yeah. Yeah. And on the female side, um, well, the big name that I still uh, haven't seen on the starting uh, line this year is Lindsey Corbin, who who was on the start list for uh, South Africa and for Texas and basically was on the, on race side and had to, uh, uh, decline starting before the race with some, some injury or, or sickness and hope she, she'll be back uh, for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she was quite heartbroken about those, um, DNSs that she was forced to, to take. Mm-hmm. And another interesting one, um, to me would be, uh, Natasha Batman. Um, she basically took this year more or less off to, uh, Hopefully, get get over all the little injuries, nails that she had. But I heard from her that she would love to try again to make it to Kona next year, and to qualify again as a pro, and that would be a big, big story, I guess. Goodness, how old would she be then? She be um, I'm sensitive. not sure whether she'll turn forty eight, but I think oh, wow. she mentioned that that would be the thirtieth pro year or something like that. So <laughs> that would be really be an amazing achievement. Imagine if she made it when she was fifty. <laughs>
1: Would that be a good or bad <laughs> yeah. thing
2: for our sport? Saying, "Hey, a 50-year-old can qualify." Um, and just shows what a legend she she really really is. I mean, yeah. uh, even last year, the the races that she delivered um, that was really really strong, um, delivering records uh, on the bike in a, in a number of races and racing uh, within pretty short distance. And I mean, that was just an amazing season that that she had last year. And I hope she'll be able to do that again next year. Um, now this year, that, you know, well not
1: just this year, but we've got um, the regional championships and I can't remember if it's this year or um, previous years but I think they added them and certainly this year they, um, they, they changed the timing especially for some of the North American races so they're all stacking them up fairly early in the season. Um, have you seen much of an impact on... If this has made a big impact at this stage, and have you seen some pros start to try to race a bit smarter in terms of uh, you know going getting the, the the points in the most efficient way possible?
2: Well, from from what I see, we saw especially early regional qualifiers in in um, Texas, um, Brazil maybe not so much, but um, especially uh, Texas. And uh, South Africa and Melbourne, they have pretty stacked field, both on the male and female side. And a lot of athletes targeted these early regional championships to basically set up their season, either get the automatic qualifier spot or get a number of points that would then allow them uh, to adjust the season accordingly. I mean, Callum Milward, for example, he started with zero points uh, last summer. He raced uh, Melbourne um, in, in March Where did he finish? Like sixth, fifth, or sixth? But (laughs) basically, to put him in a place, yeah, where he was able to um, um, do it. Just one other Ironman, and with a couple of more points from seventy-point-three races, um, make it across the the uh, threshold. So he's in. um, I think overall, the move with the automatic qualifiers, I find them very interesting and a good addition to the calendar. um, Both with the automatic qualifier spots. And also moving the North American Championships uh, from August uh, into uh, May, I think this was, because I'm not a big fan of August qualifying for uh, an October uh, race where you want to be in top shape. Um, That doesn't really mix well in my eyes, that you have to be in a good shape to uh, win or place well in an August Ironman and then uh, just recover a little bit and uh, eight weeks later uh, be in top shape in Kona again. That just doesn't work. Mm. And um, I, 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 well, my suggestion would be to cut uh, August qualifying off completely. Um, Let's see if that's going to happen in the next couple of years. Um, But at least they're moving uh, races away from this August period that's hard um, to get right for Kona.
1: Mm. I just noticed overnight, and we'll have this as part of our news this week, they're going back to some uh, male-only and female-only pro races in, uh, in mm-hmm. America, which will be interesting. Have you got any other suggestions on how this whole KPR could be better um, or, or anything you hear from the pros on what they would like to see in there?
2: Well, I think an area that, that you could think more about is the direction that they went with the automatic qualifier spots for um, winning the regional championships. I think that's something that would allow uh, people to really focus on Kona and be in top shape Kona. So maybe move to like top three, get an automatic qualifier spots, but have those some of them count against the point slots. Um, so that might be an idea. Um, I already mentioned August qualifying. Um, that I would uh, completely scrap and um, basically the the other um, I, that's uh, in in discussion uh, that you also mentioned, John, was um, let's have equal slots, but cut down the number of um, qualifiers for Kona to, say, 40-40 or so mm. and uh, allow that to uh, then um, be the field in Kona, um, basically more or less keep the number of pros at the same level. Um, but have equal slots. That would be something that's worthwhile to explore. But I think um, that would also require some changes to uh, to the KPR to avoid this this over racing that a lot of the women have to do at this point to um, uh, get, catch some more points and make it to Kona. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a little tricky balance that you have to get right. Um, a lot of women race so often uh, for that one or uh, podium result that they still need to to get the points. And that's probably also not something that's very good for um, for a good performance in Kona.
1: Yeah. Now, know, um, yeah, basically on a, on a weekly basis, you know, whenever we're doing our news, um, I'm looking for pro fields, and I go to a lot of the Ironman websites, or I go to Ironman.com, and, and more often than not, you can't find the pro list, or if you do, it's quite difficult to do so. And if you were average Joe blogs, you just you wouldn't find it. Yet I go to your website every time, and you've got all the pros listed there, a bit about them. Have you ever contacted the WTC about doing something for them, or? Um, and if, if
2: if so, has there been any reply and is that of any interest for you? Well, it, of course, would be interesting to figure something out there, but um, they've gotten better with things in the past. And that's also been I don't know if that was part of the uh, email back and forth that I've had with a couple of people there, but there's now like a central place for. Um, start lists to uh, show up on their website. Um, it's not real easy to find. I mean, you, you, you were looking for uh, the, the KPR rankings uh, and if you don't know where, where they are, you can't really intuitively find them because mm. they're kind of hidden away in the in the menu structure that's a little weird to, to navigate. And similar thing for the start lists and there is a central place and they're pretty good about putting them up um, like a week and a half to two uh, before the race, so um, I'm pretty happy that um, that that cut down a bit on the work that I have to do to get my start list uh, up to date. Mm. And um, from what I heard, a lot of uh, the preliminary start lists are sent out to the athletes, and sometimes they send them to me to ask feedback on um, the people in the field, and that's also usually a good basis for the post, or at least to get started on working for the start list. Nice. nice. Now so go- it's not like I have some 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 magic source or some some uh, someone who uh, sends them to me on on the site. Uh, I usually go through the official channels for that.
1: It just seems odd to me that if you go to the Ironman, um, whatever, say Ironman um, uh, Lake Placid, I know I know that's a bad example because they didn't have any pros racing there. But if you go to the Ironman Whistler page, for example, and then. Whatsoever. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, but more often than
2: not, there is. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not on the individual races uh, sites, but a central point in um, on the Ironman.com. So, I mean, it's not easy to find them. I'll give you that. Um, But um, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are there and they've gotten better about putting that information out and then uh, it's been in the past nice now
1: this morning i got through my uh, kpr observer came through on email so maybe tell us a bit about firstly the kpr observer and and your big project for year the the kona rating report
2: <laughs> yeah the kpr observer is kind of winding down with the kpr almost been decided so we have couple more weeks uh for the july races basically the idea of the kpr observer is i put out information at the start of the season how the kpr works um explain how the rules are in hopefully a little bit more understanding way than the official um lawyerly language that wtc puts up on their website and then follow um the development of the rankings as the season progresses usually i try to come up with a projection of where i think the cutoff will end up and then um track who's over that cutoff, uh, who's closed, uh, who needs to validate, and so on. So that I do that um, at the start of the season, what I call the, the base information package, and then update that as the season progresses with a couple of um, emails that I send out and uh, PDFs explaining what was going on and excels that are hopefully a little bit easier to work with than, than the website that WTC has there. Um, so that's a paid product for 29 bucks for the whole season, um, for the last couple of weeks in the, in this season. And the August qualifying, I cut that down to 19 bucks for the last couple of weeks now. Um, that should be on try reading.com slash KPR. Um, and I also think I have that on top of my uh, homepage for now. Um, so that'll be following the Kona qualifying. And uh, once we're through with that, uh, then um, I guess everyone's eyes will be more or less um, towards Kona in October. And I'm starting to think how much content I'm, I'll be able to put out for uh, my Kona rating report. Um, usually the ideas that I come up with are a little bit too ambitious and then at the end I <laughs> I need to put, uh, pull a couple of all-nighters to, to get the thing finished. But it's always a lot of fun um, to uh, contact the pros and uh, get some of their ideas about how the Um, they view their race and the expectations they have for Kona and speculate a little bit on how the race will unfold Um, give out out as much information as possible so following the pro race uh, when it's going on um, you have one resource uh, with all the information about the athletes on the pro side there it's it's fantastic guys so if you can uh, get on there and support Torsten
1: at tryrating.com and as I uh, Kona Rating Report is a really fantastic document to have in front of you when you're watching the race unfold I mean the commentators do do their best that they can over there but often they don't know the real inside out of, uh, of each different athlete and all the races they've done, if you've got that handy you then just have a quick look up and see right that guy there he finished second or third at this particular event and, and this is sort of the path that he's taken so it's a cool document and as I said uh, tryrating.com is, is basically your go to place if you want to find out who's racing at any particular race uh, each week or, or a review afterwards uh, and just gives you a hell of a lot more insight than what you'll get by just uh, just looking at the results page on Ironman.com. So, Torsten, if, if people want to follow you elsewhere other than TryRating.com, um, you, do you do you use Twitter, the main thing? And if so, how do they follow you?
2: Yeah, the uh, main thing that I put out information is either on TryRating.com, but if people want to get in touch with me, it's either uh, TH, H-R-A-D-D-E on, on Twitter. That's my Twitter handle, or tosten at That's the email that also works. And I'm always happy when um, people come up with interesting questions or um, ask for feedback on how things uh, should be set up for them. Um, yeah, focus on the pro side, but um, fire away with questions. And I mean, there's so many interesting, uh, fascinating athletes uh, in the pro field um, in Arizona or in the other Ironman races. It's just a lot of fun. Um following them and following the path that they're taking through the through the season and the struggles that they face.
1: Awesome, man. i oh, we look forward to seeing how the rest of the season unfolds and uh probably catch up with you at some stage um just before Kona kicks off.
0: All right, that would be cool. Awesome. awesome. Okay, Jonbo, we are back and as Thorsten asked you to ask, and where did Bevan go to? Again,
1: I was there, but I just wasn't really helping. <laughs> Interesting stuff, but ah, oh, it is. So it's it's it's. I mean, WC to their credit, you know, they are changing things from time to time, and I think most of the changes they're making are good. Um, but it still is requires some extra work. And the reality is is, there's not that many people that are missing out, but as Torsten pointed out, it's more those guys in the lower ranking levels, the amount of racing they've got to do to get there, and whether that's – then they get to Kona and have a shitty race because they've had to spend so much time qualifying, especially for the girls who've got to do more races, um, that's where it's not – equitable, um, and I don't have all the answers to be honest, um, I kind of feel that the, the people that do have good races in Kona, whilst they should be rewarded for that, they almost get over rewarded for that, um, and just have such a big advantage for the next 12 months that they don't really have to do much racing but uh, at this stage I don't have a, the perfect answer
0: Yeah, but it's, it just seems to be a tweaking process, doesn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, and, and, you
0: know they're evolving
1: it Okay, Jumbo Sponsor com, Yeah. Ironman Canada. Yep. So we have uh, Ironman Canada just, just last weekend. One thing I noted is went on to com, and you look at their results on there for Ironman Canada and they only go back to 2004. But oh, we know really? that Ironman Canada has been around for, uh, I think they had their 30th anniversary maybe last year. Um you go back to Athlinks, and there's a hell of a lot more results back there. Yes. You know, I, I, I pulled up 2003, and we had Reynard Tissink take it out from Tom, Tom Evans. and uh, Gordo did pretty well. Gordo Byrne took down Farris O'Sulton late in the run. Gordo came through with a 2.49 and would have run past Ferris just at the end. He only finished a minute uh, 48 in front of him. So wow, was, that's
0: pretty impressive, isn't it?
1: And then Ferris would have gone on to win Kona in 2005. So uh, nice work by Gordo back then. But I guess my point is... Is you know whether it be WTC or whether it be any organizer, you know the results aren't always going to be up there. But what you will find from Athlinks is the result, you know, <clears throat> the results go as far back as possible. As long as people submit them before websites disappear, then uh, Athlinks will keep all those results up there, and uh, and you don't need to worry about your results disappearing. I will note that Gordo again, again, when you're on the Ironman Canada page, it's really easy to navigate your way around, and. 2004, Gordo went back, went even better, ran a 246, which is a bitching fast run, and uh, was a minute 52 behind Tom Evans at the end.
0: So, John, this was great about athletes because, you know, Gordo is a friend of ours, and. You know, Gordo isn't actually signed up to Athlinks, so, but I was kind of thinking, well, what was the best he ever did? Because I knew, I, I, just as you were talking, I thought, I'm pretty sure he got a second then, because didn't he get second in Man New Zealand as well? And so then he's not even signed up to Athlinks, but Athlinks has the ability to check all Gordo's results, and you can go back and you go, okay, well, in 2004, Gordo did Man New Zealand. What did he get that year? Let's have a look. Um, he pulled off a, he got, I think That year
1: Yeah I think he did Because I think Cam Brown won And then Klaus yeah, Klaus was second
0: No I got fourth that year
1: Fourth Okay yeah. It was Bjorn yeah. and then Klaus And then Gordo maybe
0: And then in 2005 Where did he get this year 2005 He pulled off Yeah he got second that year 2005 he got second Hmm we got smashed by Cameron Brown and Dominic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brown did 820 <laughs> and he got 839. So there was a big gap between first and second, yeah, but still second. But that's what's cool, you know, like Gordo's not even on athletes, and you know, this is definitely from our time. You go back and you go geek out on all his results, and uh, and it's just really accessible and really
1: great. And I've got to say, uh, Tom Evans, who was one of the great Canadian athletes and won Ironman Canada, uh, he's got. Four hundred ninety-four races. So he does keep everything on Athlinks. Four hundred ninety-four races. He's done nine thousand and seventy-one miles of uh, racing. And if you're wondering what he's up to these days, he's uh, looks like he's just running. He's been doing all. The, he's done a, a Spartan race. Um, he went over to the UK and did a goodness. He slowed down a bit. He's if he's claimed the right results here, he's claimed like a one hour fifty and a one hour thirty one, and this is a guy who used to be an an Ironman winner. So, yeah, either yeah, he's 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 slowed down a bit, old Tom Evans, but he's got some pretty impressive results in there.
0: Life changes, John. It is life changes. It yeah. really does. Yes. So, team, if you want to geek out on, even if you just go find some of your old athletes and see what they're up to, and um, but it's interesting. We're just looking at Gordon Gordo's career. You know, he started out as a pretty average just age group athlete and just he was a real example of someone who wanted something extremely hard and did everything
1: it took wasn't he yeah mm. uh, i think this tom evans has claimed some results <laughs> <laughs> oh really i think this may be a different tom evans who's claimed all tom evans good triathlon results <laughs> oh nice nice Very take good. it <laughs> good take
0: it <laughs> okay ethics things so, team if you aren't on there already get on there it's a great place and, and, and i can't recommend enough Get into the habit of claiming your results because you won't regret it later on in your life. It's uh, it's a great resource just to keep a record of. You know you can add lots more detail. You can add race reports and things like that. Um, just a really great resource and a good part of your kind of triathlon training world. So athlinks.com. Okay, John, three, two, one. Questions and answers. Right. Okay. How good dolphin. old helpin'. how dolphin? How dolphin? Okay, I'll read it out, John. But pro qualification message. At the risk of starting John off on a rant, I thought I might uh, cast some light on what it takes to be a pro, by which I mean, how do you qualify? I'm asking because I was trailing at the bike at the, back field, at the field of Ironman France on Sunday and someone racing as a pro on the big climb, about 65K in. I checked the results the next day, and this guy finished the race, but well down the field. You should be able to see the results on the website, I guess. So... Is oh, I didn't want to name the person. So, is that one bad day for a pro, or is it possible for someone to get a pro license and race as a pro without any expectation that they can put some a time to compete with the other pros? I didn't want to name this athlete and don't think it's fair to do so, but I wondered if you could explain a bit more about being a pro athlete when it comes to someone deciding, hey, I'm a pro. So... What's John's thoughts on this?
1: Uh, were you going to rant about this? Uh, I, I, do, I, I do rant about it a little bit, um, about some of the standard of some of the lower-level pros and what the hell they, they think they're doing. And I sort of have my, if you can't go sub-nine hours on a moderate sort of a course, then for a guy, you're really not good enough to be racing um as a professional athlete. So I did a bit of research though and had a bit of a look around and there's a a bit of consistency across um, the main nations. So when I looked at USAT, they've got a number of criteria to to, to get your pro license. finish within 8% of the winning elite time on the same course as elites in three USA sanctioned events that offer a prize purse of $5,000 or greater. All three results must be from the same calendar year. Criteria B, finish in the top 10 and within 8% of the winner's time at the ITU Age Group Oli- Olympic Distance World Champs. So, yeah, uh, that's, you know, top 10 at the ITU Worlds is uh, overall for age group, but that's pretty challenging. Mm. Criteria C, finish top 10 overall in the amateur field of uh, um, Ironman World Champs in Kona. So, again, getting the top yeah. 10 age group right there, that's pretty hard, uh, finish top five overall and within 8% of the winner's time at a USA triathlon age group Olympic distance national champs. So again, your top five age grouper in the country. And then the la- last couple of criteria, top five uh, at the collegiate nationals or finish in the top three of an amateur field in an Olympic at, at an elite qualifying race. John, Would you say that's too hard? Uh, it, it's it's quite challenging and you have to be yeah, pretty good. You so I would well, say think about
0: someone like me who you know, I I race a couple of races as a pro, which is a bit of a joke more than anything, but um you know, if I if I'd stuck at it, I could have been a second tier, you know, maybe third tier pro who maybe could have made a you know, got survived at best. Yeah. But you know, I could have got down to maybe the eight forties and you know, like a Gordo if I was really gave my life away to the sport. Based on this it would have been pretty hard for me to, to get there.
1: Yeah, no, I think the only way you would get in would be within 8% of a winning time at a at. A race with over five thousand dollars of money, so you might be able to squeak in. in yeah, that way I think yeah, um, but still, I, I think those are pretty fair standards, and I think if you meet any of them, so any anybody who's basically got a, an American pro license, I think they're legit enough uh, and, and they've earned it. Um, yeah, well, just one before you move on. When I
0: was, remember years ago, I was racing an Ironman race, and I was talking to a guy from America, and he he, he he raced at a pro, but they basically, and I could be wrong about this, so maybe our American listeners know. That um, he had to race pro because he had so many results, oh, like he really? yeah, yeah, like he was telling me that he was just his performance basically meant that because he was performing at this level, he had to he had to race as a pro card now, this was ten, twelve years ago, so you know if you are someone in America, can you let me know if that 's true because that 's an interesting thing as well isn 't it
1: yeah i wouldn 't think it would be true any longer because you know we we interviewed Dan Subletsky who you know finished. He finished first age group of this year, and I'm pretty sure he was second or third or something the year before. And and obviously, wasn't forced to do it, so i would be surprised. But I'd be interested to know if that rule did actually used to happen and if it uh, and how how well enforced it was. Mm -hmm. When I looked at in Australia, they had some other criteria. One was you have to finish top five in the Noosa Triathlon, and that's a big event. Um, yeah, top five is pretty impressive. Um, Top three at overall at age group results at um, the, any of their national champs, whether it be long course, Ironman, um, Olympic distance, etc. Top five overall in international age group championships within four percent. So if you go to ITU Worlds, uh, Kona seventy point three Worlds, Duathlon Worlds, again if you finish in the top five overall age groupers, you're in. Um, or if you're the fastest age grouper at an Ironman or seventy point three event, as long as within six percent of the overall winner's time. So again, somewhat similar criteria, and I kind of think that if you if you tick those boxes, if you're the top five age grouper at uh, at say Worlds or anything like that, then I think you're kind of legit enough to be eligible to give it a crack as a, as a professional. Um yeah. and then, in terms of the british uh British side, it was the last one that I looked at and P- pretty similar um, you've got to, it sort of says ideally be an age group athlete who's come within 8% of the winner's time at a recognized long distance triathlon event such as an Ironman or a challenge event in the last 18 months so their their terms were not quite as uh, as rigid as the others they sort of just basically as long as you're within 8% of the winner at a, a decent event then you're probably good enough so then it comes down to Ironman and challenge and they basically have the same rules so it's nice to see some consistency although will say that the challenge rules looked remarkably like the Ironman rules. Well, um, like in copy-paste, <laughs> remarkably. <laughs> remarkably like the Ironman rules. Uh, and that basically specifies that uh, you just have to have a pro licence from your country. Yep. And if your country does not... Uh, have a pro license, then you need to have a letter from them to stating that you're eligible to be a professional and if they if 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 that's not forthcoming, then you can submit your race results to Ironman and they may have a similar sort of bunch of criteria so to me, it seems like I think the rules in place are actually seem pretty legit, but yet when we look at results, you often see guys that are you know guys are doing slower than 10 hours or 11 hours and stuff and you're like what the hell have they just had a bad day or are they really not up to the grade and but
0: i, but I think most of the time you've got to assume it's a bad day
1: yeah most of the time but some guys you see you know they're just they're not even you see a lot of explosions on the run but then you see some some of the times of the swims and the bikes and you're like really so i think a
0: grandmother could go
1: faster than that yeah um it's not an issue that I'm overly passionate about at the end of the day, I don't think it takes away from any racing and it's you know so I don't get my knickers in too much of a twist and uh but good yeah wearing knickers John. Yeah. But I think that of these the main countries, uh, that they have a pretty good system in place in terms of uh, making it a hard enough challenge to be a pro. So good question. Thanks, Hal.
0: Okay, um, John Bo, that's pretty much the sweet questions. So let's get into the last part of the show. So John Bowie, the patrons, if you want to become a patron of I am talk and those who are, we love you very much. Um, You go to www.imtalk.me or that other website that John talks about, which is called…
1: Uh, <laughs> Am I late? <laughs> <laughs> Am
0: I late? Um, and you can um become a patron of the show. And here are some of the people who become patrons of the show. And John gave me Brian Fallon today. And I thought of Fallon or I thought Jimmy Fallon is uh, one of the late night hosts. Do you know Jimmy Fallon, John? Mm-hmm. Yep, Jimmy Fallon—he's very funny man. So I thought, well, why don't we call him Funny Guy Fallon?
1: <laughs> nice one, yeah. Adrian Fui Fui Moy because we have a rugby league player who plays over in Australia, um, who's called Fui Fui Moy Moy, and so that's Adrian a good name, mate. I
0: like that. James the Feeler Reed. Now, that must have come from the Feelers. It does. So,
1: it's a, yep. one of the New, New Zealand, Zealand Band. best Rock bands. Band. Yep. And Michael Meat Muncher Egan. <laughs> Back it up. That I don't know. From? I don't know. That's an old one. I don't know where it came from, but it's a classic. Uh, Paula Green, uh, The Divine One
0: or Brilliant Brilliance. So she obviously had two ones. Maybe we okay. gave her two nicknames at different times.
1: Yeah, I think we must have done.
0: So you can choose, Paul. You get, you get the choice. Which one do you prefer, the Divine one or Blender Brilliance? It's
1: got to be the Divine one. Oh, okay. So I went mean Blender Brilliance. So this, oh, we're
0: chocolate yeah. cheese, you and I are, I tell you. Yeah. Um, if you want to become a patron, once again, go to www.imtalk.me. It really makes a difference. And, uh, yeah, so that'd be really great if you could do that. Sponsors, John?
1: com.
0: social networking for endurance
1: athletes extreme endurance your lactic buffer and our patrons and, and just it. a couple of a few patrons if you haven't got your name yet um, we've got just a few more to get through so they, they are coming we're just sort of doing five a week and those names that we read out at the start of the show are people that we've already given nicknames to so it's the ones at the end of the show we're just slowly working our way through but we need more we've got to get that new website haven't we Bevan and we've got to find yeah. the funds from somewhere and remember you do go in the drawer to Go to Kona with us next year.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's definitely some goodies that come along in you becoming a patron. So, uh, John, what's your goss?
1: What's my goss? I've just heard the garage door close. Belinda's off for another one of her long runs. So uh, how long she again- going now? Oh, they- I think they got just over two hours today, so a little mm-hmm. bit shorter. And then I think the week after, next week or the week after, they've got their big three hour one. So, they've got their little. Uh, I think I've got maybe one at three hours fifteen. And that's as long as I'll go. Yeah. But the girls, you know, they're they're battling the, the runners' injuries. To, um, they're they're, they're they're battling their way through and just trying to get to, to the race in one oh, piece. So is Belinda a bit injured as well? She's got a little bit of performance, uh oh, no. pain going on, but they're they're they're, they're hanging hanging in there. Uh, Nothing Mike, worse than an injury, eh? No, sucks. Injuries suck, man. But I'm what on the come. Life injuries. I'm on the comeback, Bevan. Had a nice 15k run with the boys last night, so um, I'm on Smash the comeback. Smash it out. Was porno there? No, Porno's in Fiji, I think, isn't he? Oh, he is too. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So no, uh, no Goss, I'm just a bit sad that Tour de France is over. I won't have any... It was kind of convenient because now I'll get back into my running, so it's timed nicely. I was spending a lot of time on the trainer uh, watching the Tour de France, which was which was great last week. Kind of feel sorry for Chris Froome having to have to deal with all the bloody doping accusations. It probably really takes a big... you know. I think that the, the energy that those guys in the Tour de France have to put out in terms of... Um, trying to quash any drug accusations, and and I don't think any of us know whether he is or isn't on, on drugs, but dealing with that at the end of every bloody day, and along with all the other media stuff they do, having just finished a ridiculously hard stage, you'd be up for hours and hours on end before you can actually get back and actually do any recovery. It's just uh, it's a bloody insane event.
0: Was it exciting this year?
1: Uh what the the day to day racing I found really really cool um it kind of you felt that the the winner was a foregone conclusion after the first week, but you still had some fantastic racing each day, so it wasn't necessarily racing for the the g c but you know it was a different winner and lots of different finishes, so it was um it was a really good tour i thought
2: okay. and the last
1: okay. i mean we've got uh, the second to last day you know it got pretty exciting um in terms of uh quintana taking off and, and really taking it to them so the guys never laid down in the lance armstrong area you know you often it, it, nobody could attack him nobody could even get close but these guys just kept trying and trying and trying so it was um it was good racing
0: and good times <clears throat> who's gonna win next year for him again
1: Oh, you'd have to put um, odds on, but you know, the little, uh, if the course was pretty similar, and if Quintana didn't have the bad luck that he had early in the race, you know, Qu- Froome gained a lot of. Time through good positioning in the peloton, um, it could have been a slightly different story. It was only just over a minute. I'm reading this. um, Belinda gave me a book for my birthday, um, which is a history of the Tour de France and it goes through every year and uh, from when it first started. Man, these guys these days, the distances they ride compared to what they rode in the early 1900s is they were doing like 5,000 kilometres with stages like. Two, maybe like three, 400 kilometres long on single yeah. speeds on over shitty roads is well, just uh, cause ridiculous. Because I
0: told you so earlier on this year, I'm pretty sure I've told you guys this, but I was doing modelling work with Phil from The Amazing Race and he's made a documentary um, recently which is follows because the first New Zealand to do, to, to do the Tour de France I think was around 1930 and I think just from what I remember it's got the bevan James I was guarantee here obviously but um I think what what I remember was that um there was it was like a long lost relative of his like this like maybe a bloodline and it was a relative, so he does this documentary where he f- tells the story of that year's race. And apparently it was quite a fascinating race, probably like most years. But while he's doing the documentary, he's doing the race himself mm. on a bike from 1930. Mm. So he, he gets one of the bikes that they used, and he, he did one of those 400K days. And he said it took him 23 hours, mm. and he said it screwed him. <laughs> His back yeah. has been screwed for like a, a six months since they, it really um, threw they, it. Up. They
1: were going over – they weren't doing – as um hilly events as they do now they but they still went through the pyrenees and still went through the alps um after the first few years doing that on on shingle roads and on... was, was it
0: in a newspaper that started it what, yeah, was yeah it? it was
1: yeah yeah and uh it's just crazy it's it's good reading wow mm. bevan what's happening
0: in your world well i'm up in auckland right now and uh mm. we're doing some work for les mills we're doing my filming work which is all good and uh it's been a very easy week, which is good. Yeah, they can be slightly stressful weeks, John, but sometimes they can be kind of easy. And this week's been easy. Um, and I've got today off, Newsom, so I'm oh. gonna might go to the movies. Oh God! I'm to, because Mission Impossible is coming out this week, and uh, doesn't come out till Thursday. And I would have been called to go see that, so I'll go see the movie today. And then I'm really, John. I'm How's everything I... going? Oh, well, my car's good. Because yeah. I was really worried coming up here this week Because my calf blew So I haven't been running at all Because I just wanted to get through this week But I'm thinking once I get back I'll go for a few runs and then
1: make uh, uh, <laughs> Melina's doing uh, Is is going to do your, your Queenstown Marathon So you, you and Melina did it last could, year Did he? Okay. Yeah, him and Aaron did it I remember yeah. seeing them come in Um, Or did Aaron do it? I'm pretty
0: sure Melina did, did yeah, it Aaron did it I can't remember if Melina did Oh, maybe he didn't Um, Yeah, uh, this going to Sweden is kind of throwing me a little bit Because I would have liked to have done it but like at least half pie did it, not just kind of just turn up and just finish it. Mm. Um, but going to Sweden is throwing me off a little bit. I have to say, um, wait a second, talk about something for two seconds, John.
1: Well, if I'm on Ironman.com, they're still harping on about this. Uh, every time you go on an Ironman clip, you see this coaching thing. I'm really wondering if that's going to take off or it's just going to be another big money making venture. Oh, it's, yeah, we haven't really heard much about it, have we? <clears throat> no, it's all any, Anyone who's done it. No, it's pre enroll now. Oh, so hundred dollars off is reason to celebrate. When does it? When does it actually? <clears throat> um, see, this is one of these instances, Bevan, where you ask me a question, I don't know the answer to. So it can't be far away.
0: You hope not. Re- yeah, re- maybe we should buy it just to see what it looks like. Is you know for the audience? <laughs> anyway, last week on the show, I said I'm coming to LA. On the way home from Sweden, I, I need a place to stay, and mm-hmm. I actually had a few people email me through. But Michael Rowe, Michael Rowe and his lovely wife, they sent a photo of themselves through. You've was... <laughs> you, you them? Have you ever interviewed them yet? Yep. Uh, you... yep gave them a five page report, please. Can you please send it through? Yeah. Um. They've got a lovely photo at the airport, and uh, they they live in LA. And they he said, yep. If you've got a big house, got a bedroom, and I said the only problem is because I, I love comedy, one of my kind of favourite things. I love I love comedians. I just love comedy, and and if there's a that's why you love me so much. Oh, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> my life is a treat because of your comedy genius. <laughs> And um and, it's, and LA is you know one of the home bases of comedy and so I really want to spend you know well, I think I got four days in LA so on the way home and so I thought well I really want to try to see some comedy shows at night maybe try to get some music and while I'm there as well and so Michael he sent me a today. today you said you want somewhere to stay and our place would be great and it's central and it's really cool and and I was like oh I'd be really keen but then I was like I want to go out at night and I don't want to you know like I don't want to be Intrusive into somebody's life, and so I went back and I said, Oh, you know, if I go out at night, with me, not, not, you know, what if I came home late? Would that be a problem? And they're like, Nah, come along. So I'm going to be hanging out with Michael and his lovely wife. I haven't actually got her name here in front of me, but um, so I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be happening in October, so it's that's going to be a bit of a highlight for me, John. are
1: you not going to be way over I Man time? Are you twins? I Man, oh, it must be about the 10th, some, some, no, time. no, it's I mean. late October,
0: okay. I think. My work's in like I think I'm in LA And basically I'm in LA On the 26th of October okay. So right. I'll be here For in time um, So yeah Thank you Michael You're a bloody rock star and, uh, and maybe you can come To a comedy club with me Because he sent me through Some of the comedy clubs And uh, I'm looking forward to that be- Bevan's paying Michael Yep that's right I'll pay I'll shout you You give me a house To stay at I can check you to comedy club. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so thank you very much. And and some other people offered as well. And So for those who offered, thank you very, very much. I'm looking forward to um, heading to L.A. So, yeah, that's pretty much my
1: gosh, jumbo. Cool. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kicker.